Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of In Conversation with. Uh, today, I'm very happy uh, to talk to Josh Bullen, who is currently doing an MA at the National Film and TV School. He's a Warwick graduate, which is where I know him from. Uh, but the reason for talking to him today is just I was on Twitter. Uh, he was publicizing a series of queer films that I had never heard of, and I was very curious to find out that they're part of a season at the Rio Cinema. It's part of uh, a final year uh, project and this MA in curation that Josh is doing at the National Film and TV School. And really, I wanted to find out more. So Josh, tell me how you put this program together. What is the program? And what do you hope to achieve from it and so on? Yes, so uh, the program is titled and silence the resilience of queer cinema. And the logline for it, I guess, is it's a season of queer cinema from uh, all over the world, but particularly from nations where they are still living under fairly repressive regimes and there is open oppression towards LGBTQIA identities, whether this is at a kind of a governmental level or kind of a overriding public opinion and so the project kind of was sourced from me wanting to bring attention to to kind of queer cinema that doesn't quite get as much airtime as kind of all these mainstream examples which are great and it's, it's great to have them but I think we've kind of lost kind of a, a spirit of I guess rebellion and which existed when kind of queer cinema was making its was kind of emerging in in the nineties and um and and so I I kind of got to work kind of researching and finding what films were out there I suppose and so I was kind of I kind of combed through uh, festival directories and programs from years before because I kind of I was balancing up as well whether I wanted to focus on kind of groundbreakers kind of films that kind of burst open the door for this or whether to try and bring attention to much newer films which I thought kind of weren't receiving any attention and and that deserved them I suppose mm. you titled this the resilience of queer cinema so on the one hand this program that you've put is situating itself somehow in relation to queer cinema I imagine as what as once was I mean the term queer has certain connotations to me, and it's not those connotations of things that I have very much been enjoying on TV. Yeah, like the run, young royals or heartstoppers or mm -hmm. even looking or, you know, I don't think of that as queer, even though, yeah, it is about lesbian, gay, trans peoples. So I wondered if you, if you meant anything by that title or if you had any specific elements in mind by that, that choice of title yeah I guess w what you were talking about was kind of a lot of what went into my thinking when coming up with the the idea for the season but I guess the 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 intent behind it the title itself is that these films are kind of emerging from a lot of political strife perhaps and um and situations where they they would they're struggling to be made and then even seen on a level like uh, several of the films have been banned kind of in the nations where they were made or 
they haven't been able to be screened there. And so by kind of using the, the term resilience, I was kind of trying to refer to the fact that the, these are communities which can't kind of be stamped out of existence. They will always kind of find a way to break through. And and I think that comes across in, in the films in the season as well. So, Okay. Let's talk about each of the films now. And then afterwards, I'd like you to talk me through you know, the combination I kind of, what did you hope to achieve of programming them together as a program? So I think the first that I have on the list is, is Wet Sand. What is it? So Wet Sand is a Georgian film. Um, I believe it only came out last year. It is it's set in a kind of a coastal village where one of its long-standing residents suddenly dies and his granddaughter returns to the village to kind of settle his affairs and organize his funeral and comes to discover that he was um kind of living a forbidden life in a in a gay relationship which i it's the town kind of knows about but it's never spoken of per se and so there's a sense that they're they're trying to the rest of the village are trying to kind of just stamp out his memory kind of forget he ever existed and not even give him a proper burial, that kind of thing. And kind of his loved ones are the only ones kind of fighting to, I guess, stand for his dignity. And so whilst also grappling with their own identities and how they can express them in such kind of a, a, a discriminatory environment. Because whilst Georgia itself is a country where it, it is legal to identify as, as LGBTQIA, um, it has a very strongly orthodox kind of population with very um, built-in religious beliefs. And so you'll find most studies show that the majority of the population don't approve of same-sex relationships. And so... There's a a wonderful um, film festival, queer film festival in Vilnius. And I went there, I think, uh, the first or second year. But it was the first year of their gay pride parade. And I don't know if you know, but Lithuania is now in the EU, right? And it was this weird experience for someone of my generation to be at a gay pride parade that went through all of Vilnius and actually to have the police protecting the LGBTQ people marching against the population. Mm. Yeah, I, that you realize that all of these places have their own, you know, particular histories. And actually how something being legal doesn't make the living of that situation uh, any easier. Yeah, so... Absolutely. Uh, I, I suppose that's what that film is about. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about Latis in Waiting? I hope yes. I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I think so. Uh, so, Ladies in Waiting is, is a documentary uh, made in, in Tonga, mm-hmm. which is the, the last remaining kingdom in the South Pacific Islands. And uh, it focuses on this community called the Ladies, who are a group of uh, native trans women who, uh, who have, they've, for centuries, they've, they've existed in, in, in Tonga, but kind of related to kind of the the religious fundamentalism which is kind of crossed over from the states there's been a rise of that in Tonga and people kind of 
protesting against their their very existence in the in the community and so the film is kind of showing their lives their activism and um who they are and how they are kind of having to fight for their own legitimacy kind of years after they were already established i suppose now to clarify this is a documentary yes it is was the previous uh, film, the, the Georgian one, Wet Sand, also a documentary? No, Wet Sand is a, is a fiction feature, yes. So, um, ah. so how, in your process of thinking through the curating of the programme, was this a factor? Uh, yeah, I think when I was, when I was originally coming up with, with films, I was focusing on fiction, but in the research process, I was realising that a lot of these, the stories that were coming from these, these countries were documentaries and so I found it I found it for one it was easier to put together a program by including documentaries but it was also kind of allowing a, a, a gr- even greater kind of reality to the situation because these are real real people and their their stories on mm. film it's interesting how documentary features so prominently in political struggles yeah uh, and also, I suppose, in countries that don't have a particularly developed uh, film industry. I was just thinking, for example, you know, my own experience growing up in Canada that didn't have a developed film industry, a fiction mm-hmm. film industry, uh, that the focus was really on documentary, on documentary as a way of representing the nation, but also of kind of pointing out the problems, social problems or political problems within the nation. It was the place where the nation itself got represented. Yeah, it was through that form rather than through the fiction cinema because fiction cinema was so much more expensive and, you know, to a large extent out of reach in these particular countries that didn't have a developed film industry. And have you found that to be the case in your research? I I think absolutely that's definitely the case I've found. Um, Certainly in a nation as small as Tonga. I um I know the two of the co-directors of the film are Americans, and so they have. There's a sense that there is no kind of existing film infrastructure available, and so, as you say, documentaries are the ways that these stories can be told in a cinematic uh, environment. Mm. Um, so the third film uh, that uh, you've programmed uh, is called Gracefully. And there's a panel discussion uh, attached to that, and that's on Tuesday, uh, the 29th of November. Can you tell me a little bit about setting up that whole program? So Gracefully was uh, the shortest film in the program. It's an an Iranian film, and so there was kind of a logistical sense that this was the best place to have a panel event. uh, Because when conceptualizing the project, it felt important to me to have some kind of discussion where the season could be talked about um, both by speakers and the audience and as a way of discussing uh, these films and queer cinema uh, from all over the world and and also so we can think about how we can support the communities in these countries where there is uh, less support for, for the LGBTQIA community. And so that, that was how the panel... Um, was conceptualized the idea is to kind of have a balance of of kind of i guess a more academic um response as well as more uh, an activist response so mm. 
Okay, um, so we're going to the last film now, uh, Memories of My Body. Um, it's uh, uh, an Indonesian film, I, I think. That's Can right. Can you tell me a little yes. bit about it? Yes, yeah, so, so Memories of My Body is another fiction film that, that closes out the season. And it's kind of, it's a coming-of-age story that's uh, based on the life of a famed Indonesian choreographer and dancer called Rianto, who kind of narrates the story in a sense and dances in between these vignettes of the protagonist Juno's life. So uh, he, he becomes immersed in the Lenga dance, which is a traditional dance in um in his region in Indonesia he's kind of enticed by the femininity and fluidity that the dance kind of brings out in himself and so through that he's exploring his gender and his sexuality but obviously finds he's coming into a lot of conflict and struggle as he's kind of uh thrown from these different environments due to kind of the responses to his unorthodox um, gender expression and sexuality. Mm. Tell me a little bit about your process of researching this program and of putting it together. Of course, so so it began by kind of pulling from my own knowledge. I thought about the queer world cinema, which I was familiar with. And then it was a case of kind of just kind of deep diving, combing through a lot of different queer film festivals from from across the world and their their own programs to see what was out there and then from that trying to trying to uh, view as many of them as I could and uh put them together as a program which I felt was coherent and explored different facets of the of the arguments I'm trying to express through the season uh one of the things that I find missing in your program and this is not a criticism but I'm, I'm just curious is a lack of um, Latin American in it. And I wondered if, you know, what was your reasons for, for that? Is it that it's, it's more seen or better circulated? Or? Yeah, I, it's a combination of things. There were certainly several Latin American films on my shortlist um, during my research process. And it was, I think it was, it was mostly a case of Indeed, some of these films had had some recent screenings in London, which I was aware of, and um, were more available. So there was, and there's, there was also the, the sense that I, I only had, because we're, we're given a, a small budget by the school to to create the season with. So generally, with the budget we have, there's only enough for for four screenings, and so from that, there kind of had to be some decisions on what I felt I want I wanted to screen more I suppose um but but yeah of course there's there's always going to be kind of areas of the world that get missed when when you're trying to kind of show something on a global scale uh mm. but it's I think I think I guess what's good about what I I, I love about this the season is that um I think it's something that doesn't have to begin and end with this um, specific project. It's something I, that could I could continue in in all manners of forms as I kind of go forward. And so, I mean, what I love about your season is really that I've not seen any of it before. Yeah, I've not even heard of any of it before, uh, and I can see that as a mixed blessing. On the one hand, you know, I was very excited to see it, and I think, oh my God, why don't I know about this? And I should 
really see it. You know, on the other hand, I can imagine that it might be a problem drawing people into it. I, if you've not heard of something, it's very difficult yeah, for people to, to, to go see it. <laughs> and I wondered kind of if you thought of any of this and you know, how, how do you plan to get people to go see your program? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That that was also uh, um, obviously one of the things that gets brought up when you when I was um, discussing the season with my tutors and things like that. And so, I, I guess my strategy is has just been to kind of show that these these are films that are worth watching, and hopefully the fact that once you've once you have heard of them, they sound enticing enough to to come and come and see. And so it's been a case of kind of through social media and outreach to try and get the word out to local queer communities as much as possible and just and hope that the, there's they have the the impulse to actually come out to the to the cinema and see them you know i, I taught in cuba for many years i would go there like every year and do uh, a, a few weeks and one of the things that i found like so exciting there was uh there was a, a student at the film school uh, called Damian Saend, who would organize queer screenings in the center of Havana. Yeah, and often it was just a way of learning about the culture, learning about different ways of being, yeah, kind of opening up your head to, to, yeah, to different places and different identities and different imaginaries. And what they would do is they would make it into like this huge social thing yeah, where they would take over a rooftop and kind of show the films and have drinks and dancing and food. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and turn it into like a kind of a social party. So, you know, where, where this learning or this experiencing was both collective and, and fun, yeah, and social. Because, of course, I think a lot of these things, and as I get older, I think it more so, you know, that really you can't, you, you can't do very much on your own. Yeah, that kind of certainly, you know, uh, uh, every process of attempting change has to be a collective activity to some degree. And I thought that was a marvelous way of kind of, you know, being inclusive, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. in, in all kinds of ways. And I was wondering, had you given any thought to that dimension, yeah, of, uh, uh, you know, connecting the program to, well, you said you'd already like thinking about communities and so on. Um, but uh, has that figured in your mind as something, you know, that uh, can be done or the uses of it being done at all, really? Do you have a view? Yeah, I mean, it is obviously, it, is, it sounds like this is, that that's an amazing way to kind of expose these films and can kind of create a conversation around them and, I think I think like you say that it's important to make these these experiences kind of memorable and and fun for anyone who is who is coming out and 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 this is this is it's definitely something that you that you try to keep in mind when you're organizing this kind this kind of thing because um especially in a time when kind of it's harder and harder to get people to come out to the cinema to to see things but um yeah, it's, it's it's something that's quite difficult to to achieve when you're when you're when you're working on 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 a on a, on a small scale sometimes, and um, I hope that through the screenings, I I will foster kind of an environment where people want to talk about these films and kind of come away feeling enriched by it. Um, I I was very excited by your program because I think 
one of my criticisms of programmers <laughs> is that the prime concern seems to be feeding their audience, right? So I notice around, you know, the, the few rep cinemas that we have left in Birmingham that, you know, people are often concerned about getting bums on seats and, you know, it seems even more of a concern than in dominant cinemas and, you know, that really structures their programming to a degree. And I think, you know, one of the things that I grew up with was that part of a programmer's job is to build audiences, not just to satisfy the audience that you already have, but to continue to build, yeah, audiences. And that that is as much, you know, a programmer's job, yeah, as it is, yeah, to put bums on seats. Because you have to think about, you know, bums on seats the year after, or, yeah, the building audiences has to be part of a programmer's function, you know, and I wonder about your thoughts on this. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a, this is a concern that we talk about a lot um, on our course uh, together cause, uh, between uh, the 10 of us who are, who are on it this year. It's something that we're, we're all thinking about with our programs and because obviously, obviously there's a, you need new people to come out and to enjoy these, these projects and, um, and, and obviously there's a sense that if you're just targeting the same people, it's, it's always going to be a dwindling number rather than, than making a case to, the, to people who perhaps would not maybe think it's not for them um, when, when really um, kind of what's, what's great about going to see a film is that it, it should be kind of accessible to, to, to all as, uh, and as many as you can. And so... It's something we talk about a lot, and I think we all try to, we're all trying to achieve with with our programs, and um, yeah, I think it's something that programmers definitely have to keep in mind when you're kind of seeing the same old seasons and filmmakers being trotted out year after year. But then, of course, you you also have to take into account that they need to keep the lights on somehow, and it can be hard to get these audiences. So, I suppose you're every you're trying to. Get, get a balance of, of keeping the audiences you know will show up whilst it's kind of getting as many new ones in as you can. Hmm. Have these films been hard to get? Yeah, considering, I mean, how does one go about getting a film from Tongo? <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely been one of the, the chief challenges with my projects because um, none of these films are kind of connected to big distributors. I've mainly been liaising with uh, sales agents or very bespoke distributors from the, the countries that have made the films or or at least um, had some kind of uh, co-production or funding or association with them. And so it's a case of those emails kind of aren't out on the web, so you're kind of having to track them down via thinking about where else they've screened and if uh, someone else might have the information that you, you need to get in touch. Because I, I think obviously, they, it's a great, it's a they'll want you to show their films if you get it if you can find the right one hopefully and so yeah once once you're in touch the uh, the process becomes a, a a bit more a bit a bit less difficult but obviously um it's it's finding all the all the right people that can be quite a struggle and I imagine that this is something that will get easier as you do it more yeah that you build up a. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because because the way I found it was 
it was it was contacting festivals obviously do have this rolodex and this database of people and so as 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 you do more and more hopefully it, it does become a lot easier for you to do and um and also you kind of hopefully kind of build a name for yourself as someone who 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 does program these events that that uh, are or even are of interest so now what do you hope to achieve by this program so after it's over what what ideally what 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 do you hope its impact will be or the effect of its showing if that makes sense <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh i feel that like one can't kind of prescribe any kind of big shifts because for for a small season like this but i i just hope that any audience members that come walk away feeling enriched by the films they've seen and that they feel more they have more knowledge about the communities that they've just seen and that they feel energized to go and then become more informed about lgbtqia rights in these countries which go so underreported kind of in the mainstream press in in western countries like the uk that was that was also kind of one of my chief concerns i wanted to bring attention to these issues that kind of get drowned out I think well I'm certainly very excited to see and I was very excited just to see your postings on Twitter I really was so uh, very best of luck with that Josh and thank you for joining me thank you very much thanks for having me okay, well